Happy New Year, Maura. Happy New Year. I am going to be one of those annoying people and say, I cannot believe it's already 2023. Yeah, I think, you know, we had those two asterisk years where everything flew by the speed of light and took a thousand years all at the same time. I guess we're all speaking our age when we say how how quickly time flies. We're turning into our mothers. Please don't say that. (laughs) I love you, Mom. I love you. you. I promise you. I do. So I have a question for you. Okay, shoot. Do you like reality television? Well, it's a very badly hidden secret that I am a bit of a Real Housewives junkie. What about you? You know, the ones that I watch, like I watch uh, The Survivor, I just can't give it up and I have no idea why. I watched it from the first one and kept completely up to date. I did American Idol through its first iteration Mm. and when it said that it was ending, I took it at its word (laughs) and have on principle refused to watch any of the any of whatever I don't even know who's on it like whatever the new iteration of it is that's probably like five years old at this point I just refuse to do it upon principle because you told me we were done and I believed you well and I feel like the second generation cast it's not always second best to the first iteration but I think too like Project Runway when Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum were gone so was I yeah so there's got to be a reason that you're asking me this, though, and I have a feeling it's real estate related. It, it actually does tie back to real estate. Funny, funny you should ask. I don't watch a lot of the real estate related shows. Obviously, we've all seen them because they play when we're getting our nails done or when we're sitting in a lobby where a TV is. So it's very easy for them to turn on HGTV. Um, mm. I actually feel like in one of my prior offices where we had something going in the lobby, and I think maybe in some of our current ones, we tend to turn on the HGTV stuff because it's real estate related. It's family friendly. Exactly. They're short. You can pick up. There's no through line that you have to, to keep track of. So I, I don't, but I don't watch any of them religiously because I, I do understand that that all of reality TV is actually like a form. They have writers, right? So there's, there's definitely formulas there. And obviously the real estate ones we all know enough to know what is you know absolute bs Uh, you don't actually you know when you're picking from three houses it's like once you pick it out that's not when that's not when the story ends Right. That's actually when the story begins. And I'm was wait- i I'm always waiting for the one that says, you know, we picked out this home, but then we got denied for the loan. Like, they never play that one. Or the inspection was horrible and we realized it was a money pit. Exactly. So I, I don't feel like that happens with nearly the regularity that it happens in real life. So I find them frustrating. But I know who the main characters are in a lot of the shows because a lot of them have gone through, you know, they, they started out probably as local real estate celebrities. They got picked up. Mm-hmm. And they go through a couple of different shows. So I don't always know their names, but I, I recognize their faces. And so I got a some sort of a notification, right? But it was talking about uh, Christina Hall and that she had had issues with exposure to lead and exposure to mercury. So both heavy metals and both obviously things that are causes of concern. And her exposure was related to the work that she did in the houses that she was in. And which show is she on again? Flip or Flop, I think. I believe that that's the one. And there may have been a spinoff, I think, when she 
divorced? Yes. Uh, it was a husband and wife, so there was I th- – and I think they even, like, worked together past the divorce, but I am speaking as someone who's probably only seen, like, a total of 15 minutes of all of the shows they've ever done. Uh, and not 15 minutes of one show, just little little pieces and parts of different ones. But obviously, uh, I clicked on it because it is – it's something that is relevant and, uh, and sent it to you, and then you sent me some other ones. Right. Well, I want to address – the, the Christina Hall one first because when you sent me this article anyone in real estate knows that lead paint can be an issue right they right. stopped using it after 1978 but anyone who lives in a home like for example my personal home built in 1967 we had to sign the EPA lead-based paint disclosure when we bought our house correct and it has to be a part of our contracts and it has to be a part of all disclosures. But one thing that really bothered me about her talking about this, I believe it was on her Instagram, and she cited all of the, quote, gross houses, unquote, that she's been in with relation to the career that has brought her fame and fortune. And I just want to I want to take a moment to take a tangent on that and say old houses aren't gross houses. And in, in a lot of cases, distressed properties aren't gross houses. Now, if someone did something bad to them, let them go unmaintained for a long time, or someone actually abused them, those houses clearly have issues. But I just, I took a little bit of issue with her use of the phrase, quote, gross houses, unquote, for something that she was choosing to do as a career. And and something for which her real estate training would have given her, like, you can't be a real estate agent and not know what lead-based paint is. Correct. And everyone, I, I have not, and I do a lot of teaching with a lot of agents, and I have not had one agent yet who couldn't tell me the year that for which they stopped putting lead in paint. We right. the, Everyone knows that it's 1978. And, and it's one of those things that it, it's part of what your your daily job is, is to know whether or not the properties that you're either walking into um, to pretend, potentially have a purchaser or something that you're potentially listing, you're well aware. And you know whether or not you need that disclosure. Exactly. And I think I also found it slightly disrespectful because I do know that during the heyday of these sh- real estate flipping shows... They were dealing with homes that may have been neglected, I want to say in a lot of cases at no fault of the prior owner. Right. The financial distress, having to move away, a tenant who didn't take care of the property. So it felt it felt yucky and disrespectful to me. But that's neither here nor there because we're not here to talk about her social etiquette. We are here to talk about lead-based paint. And you mentioned one of the other articles that I sent you, which was actually a 2018 New York Times article. And of course, as usual, we will link in the show notes, to Chip and Joanna Gaines and their alleged EPA violations related to lead-based paint, for which they had to pay a $40,000 fine. They had to inform viewers about the dangers of lead-based paint throughout. So if you watch a lot of their more recent episodes, when they're in those older homes, they talk about it. And they had to spend upwards of $160,000 to mitigate lead paint dangers in homes throughout Waco, where they do a lot of their work. So my guess is that the EPA was seeing them cutting into sheetrock and and removing taking walls down in all these older homes. Absolutely. And the, and thought to themselves, this is a pretty easy target. They're either doing it all by the book and they have documentation of it, or they're skirting around what they really should be doing. 
and not doing it properly, and so they were in violation. Yeah, allegedly. Exactly. Well, I think you know, as a lawyer, I think once you admit it, they and pay settled. a fine. <laughs> they settled. So I think that's pretty much an admittance of guilt, right? And it, and and it's not a criminal matter, obviously. So it's an admittance of li- liability. So they've admitted to a certain amount of liability, and and hey, maybe the fact that they're they're still out there and they are now a public service announcement for mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. because a lot of people do watch these shows, then you know maybe it's a, a force for good at this point. Of course, at the hands of an enforcement action by the federal government, which is is never a fun thing. And, you know, and when the EPA comes in, you're right that either someone who works there happened upon some of the TV shows or what I teach when I'm teaching agents is it's usually it's one one human being who's made some sort of a complaint and that will open up an entire can of worms for the Environmental Protection Agency. Sure. Um, they will come in if you are related to a brokerage they will come in and uh, look at what I've seen personally two years of files mm-hmm. uh, every file that that brokerage has closed and looking for other in, you know looking for patterns and looking for other instances. So it, yes so it just it starts the ball rolling uh, for the EPA. And of course, I'm not a doctor, nor are you. Right. But doctor it, of the law, but no, not right. a medical not doctor. Not a medical doctor. <laughs> and we, since we will be posting the link to at least one article about the flip or flop Christina Hall's diagnosis, I just want to, to say that she mentions detoxing and herbal treatments. And if you do read this article, Please don't take anything Cheryl and I are saying as medical advice, but please also don't take any of these articles as medical advice because if you do ever find yourself in a situation where you've had, uh, what did she call it? She calls it quantum biofeedback from a health scan. Of course, you will want to have your own treatment plan. So any articles we post, please don't take those as medical guidance. Absolutely. I think the bottom line is that the mercury poisoning, which can also be from older homes, right. lead poisoning. All of these heavy metals that do really bad things. Right. But also we can even go into, there are some older properties in Atlanta and I'm sure around the country that still have asbestos siding. Yes. Or asbestos um, tape on the HVAC ductwork, etc. Et All of these things can be contained. Can You can live in these homes. It becomes when you are either inhaling or ingesting, to the best of my knowledge. Right. And as someone who, you know, you said your house was built before 78. So our current one was not. It was built in the mid 80s. But the first house that we owned here in Atlanta was in town Atlanta. So that was built in 1928. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I normally describe it as probably chock full of lead. (laughs) You have to be cognizant and aware, you know, because there are obviously layers of paint and things that have happened since 1978. But it was an awareness that we had when we were trying to, trying to strip down all of the windows and Mm -hmm. clear off a hundred years worth of paint. Obviously, when you're doing that, you're exposing the the prior layers and, and you are correct. All of these things, you know, part of it is, is an awareness of it and and taking you know any mitigation efforts that you need to for anything that's currently a danger to you and then just being cognizant and aware when you're going in and you're making changes and the great news is the EPA has 
so much guidance about this on their website. We'll also post a link to that. I know most states will have an EPA pamphlet about lead paint in your homes. We have all of our clients initial a copy of that and sign off that they received it. So there's guidance out there for you. There are lead inspectors, and we'll talk about that a little bit more toward the end today. But the bottom line is it's something worth considering. It's not something to be scared of. It's not something that should keep you from buying the home that you want, but it is something that you should be aware of and cognizant of and thinking about. And some municipalities and cities around the country actually take it a step further. Absolutely. So a very quick Google search led me to find a list of cities, and I'm sure there are more. This was only on page one of Google results. Right. And I think I Googled something like cities with lead paint ordinances. And I got New York City, New Orleans, Rochester, New York, Baltimore, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. And then, of course, I know about Cleveland because I just signed closing papers today to buy an investment property in Cleveland. And their ordinance was actually really interesting to learn about last fall when I was considering that purchase. And I was talking to my realtor there, shout out to Seth Task with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. There's an ordinance in the city of Cleveland that if the house was built before 1978 and you plan to rent it out as part of your rental permit process, and yes, you do have to register your rental properties there. So for anyone listening who says, wow, I never knew you had to register rental properties. Again, this is a city by city, state by state, municipality. Rules are different everywhere. Yep. So just remember that whether you are a realtor or a consumer, landlord, possible future landlord, property owners or their agents are required to hire an independent contractor to perform a lead inspection on the property. You then have to upload that report to the city with your rental application and you get either a lead clearance examination or an assessment done and you can be you can receive a waiver meaning the inspector didn't find anything that was questionable and you're free to keep renting the property. Or if they notice things like peeling paint or paint chips, things that could be exposing those lead chips to, you know, children, babies, then you will be required to get those repairs done before you're allowed to put a tenant in the property again. I don't love a lot of government regulation, but this is one of those areas where I can really understand it and and I'm really in favor of a lot of this. One of the stories that I sent and the link will be in the show notes for this as someone who, one of my other guilty pleasures is like forensic files and mm. cold case files types mm-hmm. of shows. So usually when I'm teaching and I talk about lead-based paint, um, most people have seen the story because it's over 20 years old at this point, but it was a, a, a young refugee refugee family from the Sudan that was placed by a government placement system in a rental property in New Hampshire, and they couldn't figure out why the two-year-old little girl died. And oh. it was it was exposure to lead, and of course, you know, what they have said, a, a lot of these regulations uh, take into account, number one, that little babies' brains are more fragile than adult brains, and more importantly, they're more likely to ingest it because this was a two-year-old who was picking up paint chips and either putting her hands in her mouth or actually putting the paint chips in her mouth. Uh, So it made forensic files because they were trying to figure out where her exposure came from. And, you know, they didn't pick their home. They were placed there by someone else. But I think that there is an awareness that we need to hold property owners to a higher standard probably than tenants in making the understanding of what's going on. So I I really don't mind that someone who's in the position of owning properties and renting out properties has to take a few extra, few extra steps. Sure. 
And I think there's there's a fine line between government overreach and, you know, sticking their hands in your pockets. Right. And, and what the time frame is, is it annual? Is it every two years? Is is there a cost to submit the report? Is there a cost Was to... Was there a cost to submit the report? No, there is a cost, I believe, to registering your rental, and it's fairly minimal. Okay. And for example, I pay an annual fee to have a short-term rental cabin up in Blue Ridge, right? Right. So I don't even mind a negligible fee for a registration because it does require the hiring of a person who handles those files, a person or persons. It's paperwork, it's data collection, and it's a desire for accuracy. So you get what you pay for, right? So I'd rather pay 25, 50 bucks per property a year, whatever that looks like, for accuracy and to have it done properly. Right. And this is one of those situations, as you said, where I don't see it as an overreach unless the costs became exorbitant. Right. If the costs start to just benefit the city, the municipality, the county, whoever it is that's requiring the registration, because the other thing is, you know, every two years, it's approximately $300 per door in Cleveland, for an example. It's between 300 and 400. So if I own a duplex, that's six to $800 every time I have to get an inspection, which I believe is every two years. So that adds up. But if we can keep it manageable, though, right, and you are a good landlord and you care not just about the quality of your properties for your own investment, but also for your tenants' health and safety, right, it makes sense. You're just a human being that doesn't want people to get hurt. And let's be real. There are a lot of landlords who don't care. There are a lot of landlords who own more properties. Maybe it's a corporation. Maybe it's some of these hedge funds we've heard about. I'm right. not naming names and I'm not making allegations, but... The more you own, the more you have to keep track of, the more paperwork and and things you need to do. And I've walked through some rentals that, honestly, Cheryl, I wouldn't let my worst enemy live in. Yeah. So I, I don't see this as an overstep or an overreach. I see it as what these cities probably put into place as an almost a necessary evil. I don't think most cities, most governments want one more thing to keep track of, but they know that they're going to have a real problem on their hands if they have a bunch of bad landlords who aren't keeping tabs on things. Well, and if you think about it, not from a paint, but lead and water, I mean, everyone knows about Flint. I would hazard a guess, and if there's anyone listening who who works up there in the real estate, I, I would love to know, you know, boots on the ground, what that sort of thing did to property values for everyone. That would be the first thing I thought of if either John or I were offered a, a job opportunity in, in, Flint, in Flint, Michigan. The first thing I would think about would be the lead. I've got to think just, you know, off the top of my head, that has to have some sort of an impact on everyone's property values. And I believe it was Aaron Brockovich, the movie, right, that brought that to the general population's consciousness and the lesser known uh, but related case in DuPont for DuPont chemical plant absolutely with Pennsylvania, West Virginia and the surrounding areas of their plants that were affected, not just with human issues. And I think the, the, the reason Animals. it was originally uh, noticed was the livestock. We have brochures here in Georgia, right? Uh, So they are consumer brochures. They are there really, honestly, to protect agents from liability. That's the reason we create all of our forms. That doesn't mean they don't have value for buyers and for sellers. So uh, a lot of those sorts of things that we're talking about when you said, you know, that that Georgia has a pamphlet. Yeah, we do. It's the EPAs. I Mm -hmm. mean, it it is for, for mold 
for radon, for lead, lead-based paint. All of those are just the, the government brochures and information. They are between 15 and 30-something pages long, depending upon the topic. And we just paste them into the, the GAR frame, basically, and put them out there as a brochure because that's the best information that we have. Yeah. And those are all these things that we're talking about that agents need to be aware of, and they need to make sure that the buyers are aware of them. And here's a best practice tip, and I don't know very many agents who do this, but because I, well, because you and I are friends, yeah. and we talk a lot about liability, um, as I do with our brokers, with Kristen and Megan, and, and re- re- not just reduction of my own liability, but also protection of my clients. I provide, on my website, I have a page that's kind of a clearinghouse of all of those pamphlets that you just mentioned, plus all of the other ones that GAR provides. And on my buyer brokerage agreement and on my listing agreement, I have a paragraph that states that this is the link at which those brochures are available to you. By initialing here, you're acknowledging that you've been given access to these and that you have read them. I have my clients initial when they sign either a listing agreement or a buyer brokerage agreement with me. Now they have a link where they can go and download all of these brochures. I have it in writing from them that they have or they intend to read and review them. And so I'm I'm giving them information and hoping that they'll follow through and that they'll do what they said they they will when they initial that. But also, it's a way to make sure that you're getting all that information out to people and they're downloadable. And all I did was throw them into Google Drive and then put them on one page on my site. So however you want to do it, emailing them PDFs, putting them in Google Drive and sending them that link, putting it on your website, getting that information out to your clients, not just for your own protection, but for theirs as well. Absolutely. It's always a surprise to me when a consumer says, oh, there used to be lead in paint. Because it, as you said earlier, it's so much at the top of our consciousness as right. realtors. We all know the, the year 1978. If you say to a realtor, what's the significance of 1978? They're going to tell you. Yeah. And similarly, consumers who don't know what radon is or and we have that opportunity to have that conversation but the biggest surprise of all is the ones who say well am i required to get that inspection can i just skip it and the the one thing that i'll say and I, I say it when i'm doing the teaching is i think agents actually underestimate their power mm-hmm. so when i teach about all of the the these types of due diligence items and there are you know i've got a class on due diligence and inspections and all the so you you go into that um, we've got changes to the forms for 2023 that address some of this. So it came up in all of the what change classes. And it is that agents need to understand that the single biggest determining factor in what due diligence their buyers do and do not do is the agent. That's right. It is, you know, I ask, I will ask in the classes, why do buyers get home inspections? And there are some agents where their gut reaction is because they want to make sure that they're that they're buying a good house. And that's true for some people. But the real reason, the actual reason that buyers, by and large, get home inspections is because agents not only talk about it, but they build it into the process. Mm-hmm. They make it a given. They act like there isn't a question as to whether or not this is going to be done. And I think where we miss opportunities is to do that with some of the other due diligence that we could be doing. And I can tell what conversations that an agent regularly has with their clients because 
I have gotten more questions about radon from you than anyone because you've got buyers that are actually doing radon inspections. I'd say 90% of our buyers listen to us and do the inspection. And uh, Pam Abernathy, who's an agent here locally that we both know with Harry Norman, uh, almost all of her buyers get surveys. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell that it's it's not because she happens to collect all the buyers in the world that regularly do the due diligence of getting a survey. It's because that's something that Pam feels is important enough to have a real conversation about. So I think agents need to remember that. And, And I get that all of these things cost money. And, and that buyers are looking at, you know, where can I cut? That is obviously a concern even when the interest rates were in the basement as mm-hmm. to where interest rates will go. Money's always money. And, and what do I have to spend? What's absolutely necessary? And people will ask it at all price points. I mean, I had, sure. I had a buyer once for a multi-million dollar property and we had charged a fee for a power of attorney. And he asked me, is that the fee you charge everyone for that? And I said, yes. And it was, and he goes, I just wanted to make sure that I'm paying what everyone else pays because just because I have more money doesn't mean I should have to pay more for the same items. So it's not a matter of, you know, it's not just a matter of uh, I'm not sure whether I have enough money to do it, but I do think we need to make sure that they're aware of the risks and that they are aware of the opportunities that they have to make sure that they they know what's going on in the property because these things are, you know, the hazards are preventable, the hazards can be mitigated, and if you don't know about it, you can't mitigate it. Right, right. And it doesn't necessarily have to turn into a negotiation item either. No. Even when, for example, during the insanity of last spring and the year preceding that, right, with um, the low inventory and the low interest rates and the feeding frenzy of buyers every time a property came on the market and multiple offers and some of the crazy stuff we saw in contracts, there were buyers, and we all know this, who were waiving their ability for the purchase to be contingent on an inspection. But even for the majority of our buyers who maybe had to give up their right to inspect for negotiation purposes. Yeah, they gave up the right to request repairs or terminate. Right. We still were encouraging them, just do an inspection for your own knowledge, even if you have to move forward with the property anyway, and maybe you plan to. Um, and I'll, I'll just say, out of full full disclosure, the property I just purchased um, officially um, last month, December of 2022, in Cleveland, I purchased it without an inspection because we were surprisingly in multiple offers. Multiple offers are still happening in markets all around the country if the price is right and the property is in good condition. Right. And they were happening before the insanity that we're relating to the pandemic. They were happening during the last recession. There were multiple offers. They will. There will always be the opportunities for multiple offers. And one of the things that we decided after we saw this property with our agent was that based on the disclosures from the seller and what he was seeing and, and telling us that he was seeing in the property, we made the decision to waive the inspection. We still got an inspection. We only waived the contingency piece. So right. even if you find yourself in that situation with a client or if you are a consumer buying a property, waiving the inspection contingency 
doesn't mean that you don't have the right to have an inspection. Yeah, and, and our contracts here in Georgia, and they may be different in different states, but uh, buyers have a lot of latitude to come into properties during the contract period here in Georgia. And so it specifically says your right to come in is, is really unrelated to your due diligence. It's just your, you can come in to measure, you can come in to test. You're responsible, obviously, for the people you bring into the property, and you're responsible for any damage that you do at the end of the day. But you have the right throughout the process to come in and do and do that testing so there's really no reason at least in Georgia there's no reason contractually why you can't come in and do anything it is that you want to do regardless of whether or not it is something that uh, gives you the contingency some ability to get out of the contract and you know having been through only two home inspections myself you know the other part of the value of being there for it is you know they said other things like they gave suggestions or they made comments, things that didn't necessarily get reduced to writing in the inspection report, but they were having a conversation with us throughout it. And I felt like that's when I got to know the house right. at right. that point. So there's a, a value regardless of, of when you're doing it. Right. I think we should get back to the lead paint Absolutely. issue though, because there have been some changes specifically to the Georgia contracts for 2023. I know you've, you're have you a longtime member of the Forms Committee. You contribute a great deal. And I always enjoy talking about those forms changes with you. I know the, dis- the exhibit itself has not changed. Correct. That verbiage is pretty much the same state to state to state. From everything I've seen, most of it comes from the EPA. Right. The buyers have to initial in a couple places. The sellers have to attest to what they know and don't know. The agent, the listing agent has to attest to what they provided. instruction they've provided to the seller, right? So that is pretty much the same anywhere you go in the, in the United States. What has changed, though, in our purchase and sale agreement regarding lead-based paint? Because if you are a Georgia realtor listening to this, this is really important for you to know for both your buyers and your sellers. Exactly. So, you know, the, the problem, the problem with government <laughs> is... <laughs> is there only one? There's only one I'm going to talk about right now. <laughs> so the pro- the problem is that um, that the government will take certain actions to protect people, but what they don't seem to ever do, in my humble opinion, is think about the logical consequences of the things that they're doing. Oh, we're back to unintended consequences. We are, and you know, and we and we see it with the financing with FHA and VA, where they carve out all these special rights, but then a seller doesn't want to sell to those people because you gave them too much. Mm-hmm. You gave them too much power, and you gave them too many outs. Um, and so this is one of those areas where you are correct. This form is going to be the same uh, state to state because I think it, unless a state is crazy, they're going to take the actual document, the actual disclosure that's on the EPA website, and they're just going to use it as part of their sure. forms. Because there's no reason, there, there, it would be terrifying to try and adjust that form in any way. And let's not reinvent the wheel. Exactly. And this is going to be what the investigators are looking for. Um, so I don't think that they would look favorably on anything that was uh, significantly altered. Um, but one of the things that the form does for the buyers is, you know, after the seller has disclosed whether or not they're aware, whether they do or do not have any backup information or documentation because they've had inspections or something has happened in the past and they've delivered all of those things to the buyer. After that point, the buyers always get a choice to either have a 10-day inspection or to waive that inspection. And the problem is the way the form 
reads, you get that right to inspect before you're obligated to buy the property. Mm-hmm. The logical problem with that is I can tell you that if you're trying to buy my house, I'm not going to let you come in and do 10 days of testing before we even have a contract. That is not going to happen. Right. So the the logical repercussions of all of this is that we have been regularly having all buyers waive their 10 days. And I don't think that's a great look for our industry. I don't think it's a great look for anyone. And and it's been a struggle for the people that are on the forms committee to, to look at because, you know, we would like to give buyers a real opportunity to do some inspections with these things. And so what we have done now is the form itself hasn't changed, but our purchase and sale agreement has changed. I want to just interject really quickly to yeah. another problem with that waiving versus uh-huh. getting the 10 days. If you are dealing with an agent, and you most likely are, who's using an electronic signature program, right? So think about DotLoop, DocuSign, the, the program that's built into our MLS, for right. example. When you import that document into the transaction for that client, you as the agent in most cases have to choose which box they're going to initial and place their initials there. So you're doing one of two things. You've either already had this conversation with them and you've said to them, these are your options. You need to tell me which one you want to do. Do you want the 10 days or do you want to waive it? But what's more likely? The agent is just placing the initials in the waiving it line. Exactly. Opening them Because a lot of times you're making it a required field. So they have to. It is a required like, field. You know, and, and this is where, I mean, I love elect, I love everything technology. I am, I am a fairly early adopter of most but things. But not making decisions on behalf of your client. And this is where the tech fails. Right. Right. It, 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 it fails us because people don't read it. So they're literally just clicking through for the initials. You know, you know how, how quickly you get these things back, whether they've actually been reviewed or not. But even more distressing for me to hear is that you're basically having to make that choice for them as to which of the blanks you're going to create the initial tab. And they can't initial in both. And quite frankly, if you put the little initials box for them to click to initial in both places. It'd make them both required. They're choosing both. Yeah. Right. Because they're both required. So that's it's just problematic. And my guess is, and this is not me disparaging any of my realtor colleagues, But if in the moment, especially during the frenzied multiple offer market we were in six or eight months ago, you're writing offers so quickly. Are you making a decision for your client that they might have chosen otherwise? otherwise? And honestly, too, as a listing agent, I look through all of every page of every offer that I get. But I've had some listing agents come back to me after we've gone binding and said, oh, I didn't notice that you included this in your special steps, or oh, I didn't notice that they want the 10-day right to do their lead-based paint inspection. So they're not even looking at it as part of the information they're passing on to their seller when their seller is choosing an offer or signing off on something. So in the classes, like the first, uh, the first What Change Contracts class I taught this year, I was talking about disclosures. And so, you know, all of the things that are disclosures in the lead-based paint is one of them. I asked the question, what do you do once your seller completes it and they give it to you? And and this would also pertain to buyers as well. And what I meant, what the answer that I was looking for was on a listing side that you post it into the MLS, into the multiple listing service so that the buyer already has the form and can fully complete it so that you're going to have and can a, review it. A, a legally correct contract that doesn't get you a $16,000 fine by the EPA. 
day. But the first time I asked the question in a class, the really, really wonderful agent who answered the question said, the first thing you do is read it. Oh, absolutely. The first thing you do is review it and make sure that they filled it out properly and that you don't have questions. Because if you, as their agent, have questions, right. now what questions will the, the buyer's agent and all the potential buyers have? The same ones. And maybe opening up bigger cans of worms of going down rabbit holes and assuming other things are wrong. Exactly. And I get things and I will I will look at it and I will question it. And it was like, oh, I just forwarded it. Yeah, but you got it. So open right. it up, read it question anything that's wrong then for don't it fill it me. out for them that's not what we're saying but if you have if don't they've send left, me a half completed form and say you didn't notice <laughs> yep if they've left things blank if they and maybe they left things blank because they expected you to look at it and come back to them and help them maybe they don't know if they have aluminum wiring or polybutylene pipes or lead-based paint right so what is the change though cheryl in the purchase and sale agreement because i have not looked at the new contract documents yet we are recording this on December 28th, so I've not downloaded the training forms and I've not been to a training yet for the forms that go into effect on January 1, but there's a change that's very important in the purchase and sale. So now in the purchase and sale agreement, when we talk about the right to inspect, when we talk about due diligence, the actual paragraph in the B section with regard to this says that the buyer gets... 10 days or what, uh, whatever amount of days you negotiate. So the federal government automatically says 10. But since you can waive it, you can also alter it. So you could make it 1,000 days. You could make it two, two hours. You could do whatever it is that you want to do with it. But unless you ha- that you get that 10 days or how many ever days you've negotiated and you get that in addition to and without regard to any due diligence that you have. So if you wrote a five-day due diligence into the contract, but you didn't, via a special stipulation, you didn't modify the EPA recommended 10 days for lead-based paint, they now automatically have the 10 days for the, which means five days past their due diligence, the end of the due diligence period. And, And it says, unless you waived it in the disclosure. So I think for buyer's agents, it would be a much better idea to give buyers their 10 days. Mm-hmm. And and if they do the inspection or not do the inspection, that is going to be their decision at the end of the day after they have all of the information that by right and by law they, they should sure. have about what's going on and they've made a choice about it. But I don't think we need to be automatically going to waiving anymore because it is a right. Now, if you already have 12 days of due diligence, this is all academic. Right. Because you can do whatever testing or no testing right. during that 12 days and you can So you terminate. can waive it on the, discla- on the disclosure yeah. if you have at least 10 days of due diligence. That's correct. Right. And so, but I think it brings up the how are we talking about lead-based paint with clients because I think if we get to where we're not waiving it anymore we also need to be having conversations with them about the inspections that they should be doing and I think that this is and I think it was a struggle particularly Seth Wiseman is is legal counsel for GAR and so I think 
for him, he's, you know, and I'm going to, I'm just guessing here uh, based upon conversations, but I think it's been a struggle because the form isn't built well for giving people 10 days after, but I just think that it has probably been an irritant that he's been looking mm-hmm. at for at least two decades now sure. um, that has, has bothered him. And so now this language means that I, I don't think that there's a good reason to waive it. I mean, you can waive it as a negotiating standpoint, but I, I also... You know, you tell me because you do a, a lot of listings. If you have a seller who the buyer's already got some amount of due diligence, I mean, is the deal breaker going to be whether or not the buyer has the right to test for lead? Well, a couple of points. Of course, it only matters if the house was built before 1978, right? And, and, and remember that it is any portion of the house. So you can have a house that was built in 2022 and they use reclaimed items. Well, and that is another point I want to make because I have had, uh, it used to be my policy, my personal policy, to attach the lead-based paint exhibit to every single contract. Right. Because... I don't know if the mantle in the living room is new wood that's just been made to look old right. or if it actually is from a, a farmhouse that was built in 1750. And I got a lot of pushback from other agents saying, oh, well, my broker won't allow this to be attached if the house was built after 1978, which I think is very short-sighted. But that's just me. So- well, and I will tell you on that point, the Georgia Forms Committee there's been a difference of opinion and it, it used to be that the way the forms were taught by the by all of us that do the training on the forms that they said just cover your bases and do it on everything mm-hmm. and GAR has moved away from that position and you as a lawyer I could argue this very effectively both ways sure. and their only fear is that <laughs> their actual fear is that if you do it on a house that didn't require it but you do it wrong the EPA may may find you anyway because it's involved. I understand that for sure. Yeah. But going back to the... Would it be a deal breaker for yourself? I don't think so. And here's the thing. It depends on if I have my buyer's agent hat on or my seller's agent hat on, yeah. right? So on the buyer's agent side, we have... Well, we have conversations with all of our clients, but we have detailed conversations about what their priorities are, how badly do they want the house, what do they want to do to get it, especially if we're in multiple offers, what are their feelings about lead paint, did we see any peeling paint in the house, you know, how old is the house, how many layers of paint might there be covering up, you know, how, how What's many What's your times, family situation from the standpoint of, again, family situation. S- children under six? But also, how many times has the house been painted since 1978, right? right? Because that's multiple layers of, of better quality paint as the years have gone on, probably. Correct. Um, So as a buyer's agent, I don't want my clients necessarily to waive it. But as a listing agent, we might counter that you do. If you wrote in a three-day due diligence period, we may say 10 days additional, well, 10 days total for lead-based paint might be a deal breaker if you're up against other offers. So it really depends on a lot of factors. But I think the bottom line is this. Educate your clients, whether they're buyers or sellers. Educate them whether they live in a house that's older than 1978 or they don't, or whether they're buying a house that's older than 1978 or they're not. There's so much to consider and so many opportunities for us to give our clients choices and education and just information. And then ultimately, remember that it's not your decision. They need to make a decision based on how well you've educated them and then you need to follow suit. So if you have a buyer who insists 
that they do not want to waive that 10 days, even if they're saying zero days due diligence and you know they're up against other offers, you do what they've told you to do. Right. And vice versa. If they say, I absolutely want to waive it. Oh, and by the way, I don't even want to get a home inspection. And you feel that you've educated them. Maybe you have them sign a hold harmless or something acknowledging that this was their choice. Right. But then you do as directed because ultimately you work for them. Yeah. Well, and and the other is because this is a relatively new change, you know, we have had conversations already about the fact that, you know, our buyers and sellers don't necessarily read the things that they're executing Mm -hmm. and and e-signatures has made that worse. But we've also had conversations about the fact that whoever your co-op agent is in the transaction has clearly not read the entire agreement either. And I think that if, you know, for, for listing, there may be some listing agents out there that are unaware of the change. They may not even notice that you have failed to waive it and that you and they may not know what the purchase and sale agreement says at this point. So, you know, I think that that would make as a buyer's agent, that would make me even more likely to want to include the right in there. And I'd rather have the seller come back and counter depending upon the circumstances, depending upon what you think. And you don't know for certain, but what you think your negotiating position is with the other side, I would be more likely to include it than I would to waive it. I agree. And I think the biggest thing to remember is if you were the buyer or you were the seller, how would you want to be represented? And that's the thing that I repeat to myself all the time is how would I want to be treated, represented if I were the client rather than the realtor? And that's a great way to make sure that you're doing the right thing. So I knew this change was coming, obviously, before it before it went live and I started training on it. But I had taught, you know, some due diligence classes and some things like that. So I was, you know, I like to I like to use the classes to sort of take the pulse of what's going on at, at the same time. And I, I had consistently asked the question of who here, because we've waived it so much, who here has ever been even been in a transaction where a lead-based paint inspection was done and I think only one of the classes had more than one person and some of them had zero and more than 50 percent of the ones who had been in a transaction that involved a lead-based paint inspection that agent was the buyer they were doing their so their I think own due diligence they were on doing their, own, their purchase. own due diligence. And I think when when you said think about if you were the buyer, think about if you were the seller. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's that's a lesson in I think we understand the value. So the question is going to be how do we communicate that with clients? It's a lot to think about, but it's a good time to be thinking about it. It's January. It's a new year. Yes. Some realtors do their business planning in the fourth quarter, but a lot of us are waiting until January, maybe not to do all of our planning, but to to put some new things into place. So maybe some of our listeners will take this and approach inspections, explanation of things like radon, mold, lead-based paint, approach it from a different, more educational standpoint, and then not only have a better served client, but protect themselves from a little bit of liability. And show their value. If you want to know what your value is, you know, your value is knowing the things your client doesn't know, and that's the market, And but it's also these types of things. So regardless of whether they do it or not, I think having a thoughtful conversation with them, I mean, that is what you bring literally to the table is, is all of your knowledge and all of your expertise. And I think, I think agents should lean on that. I think it's all great information. 
Well, Happy New Year, Cheryl. Happy New Year, Maura. We have a lot of great episodes coming up for you this year. We have so much planned, and we're going to stick some timely ones in, like this one wasn't planned. Exactly. In the news, we popped it in, and we moved a couple things around. So we hope that you will subscribe, rate, and review us, and share with your friends. Have a great day, guys. Bye. Thank you.